the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, whatever's on your heart, you need only to call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always if you are driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer hey it's Tuesday don't have anything going on so I'll get right to questions but let me say this I'm almost crying I got a surprise just a few minutes ago. One of my favorite people in the world uh, stuck her head in my office, and I haven't seen her for so long, and what a joy it was. Um, the wife of a pastor that we sent out to pastor to, to plant a church in Washington State, and uh, oh, if I sound like I'm crying, it's because I was just a minute ago. Let me get to some questions. I want to start with the question that I dealt with yesterday. Um, it was anonymous right at the end of the program, and I didn't have enough time to do it justice. It's such an important uh, question, and and the response for you, anonymous, is even more important. Uh, the question it was, Pastor Ron, I struggle with really twisted sin. I know it's wrong, and I know it's sin. And I have fallen in the past. Why is this sin still prevalent in my mind and heart? I know I'm forgiven and free, but I still feel like a captive to my sin. I enjoy the sin, and I know it's wrong. I love to serve the Lord, and I know I'm hindering my walk with Him. What can I do? I want to start today from the bottom up. Uh, You're not serving the Lord if you are living a life characterized by whatever this really twisted sin is. We say we love the Lord. We say we want to serve the Lord. But the truth is, what we really want to do is borne out by the choices we make. And Anonymous, this is so important for you to understand. Um, to know you're forgiven and continue to sin is to trample on the grace of God. I, I'm going to be really direct here, but but... That's how important this is. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 6. Um, Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, I could stop there and say that he's, he's laying out a choice. Uh, sin, our, we have flesh. All of us do. Our flesh likes to sin. However, we don't have to sin. And it's a choice that we can make every single day. You know, I, you've heard me say, I'm sure, many, many times on this program that um, 
the key to, to walking in victory is to just be with Jesus. If you're with Jesus, you cannot participate in that kind of sin. The next verse, verse 13 in Romans 6, says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. And then here's something that you have to believe by faith. For sin shall not be your master. Then he says, what then shall we sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace. By no means. King James Anonymous says, God forbid. I think you get where I'm coming from here. Um, The thing is, you just don't hate the sin enough. You hate the guilt that you feel as a result of this sin. You hate the fact that um, that sin is still appealing to you. Um, But you don't hate your sin. And I'm going to ask you to, 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 to make a decision, an honest decision. Do you love Jesus more or do you love to sin more? And if he says that you're no longer captive to sin and you in this email said that you are, you are captive to sin, well, there's a fundamental breakdown in the, in the process of walking with Jesus. So uh, to enjoy something that you know breaks God's heart, um, I know we do things. I know we're flesh. But until you're honest enough to deal with your sin, it's not going to change. you simply got to hate it more than you do. And you got to love Jesus more than you do. And prove it. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Oh, okay. I'm done with that for today. This is from Richard from our mobile app. Hi, Pastor On. There's been some interest in the Gospel of Thomas manuscripts uh, in which they were found in 1945 in Egypt. I read them and they don't seem like the character of Jesus. What are your thoughts about this? Richard, I've only scanned the Gospel of Thomas. I only had access to it one time. It was very early in my walk with the Lord. And you know, it makes so much sense. Say, well, you know, there were other Gospel accounts. Here's the thing that we have to understand. All of the Gospel accounts except the ones that we have in our Bibles, the Synoptic Gospels plus John, um, those Gospels were written by God. Now, the humans were used, but they were written by God. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, uh, even the Gospel of Mary, um, supposedly from Jesus' mother. None of those are authoritative. None of those uh, have any um, claim to divine inspiration. And additionally, uh, all of those have contradictions in them to what we know has been preserved by God as our Bible. So, Richard, I, I personally think some of these things are interesting. Uh, they're interesting for some of the detail. They're interesting um, just just because they are. They read... Uh, in some cases, almost novelish uh, as the storylines. Uh, but um, the things that you're reading in the Gospel of Thomas, Richard, are not um, exemplary in, in terms of, of being consistent with the character of the Lord. Uh, it's simply not true. Um, you know, for a mature Christian who can pick and choose based on a comparison with the, the revealed Word of God that we have, um, you know, there's no damage that's going to be done by reading these things. But any consideration at all relative to whether these books have divine inspiration, um, that will lead you in the wrong direction. So uh, I, I, I much rather people read the Bible. I really would much rather people read the Bible. You know, uh, I, I used to, when I could see, I enjoyed reading. I devoured books. Uh, I was a fast reader. I had great retention, and I just couldn't get enough reading. Um, and, and at one point, when I got saved, and I was so far behind, I was almost forty when I got saved. Uh, I had to catch up, and I had to make a decision that before reading a bunch of other stuff, I was going to really get to know my Bible. If Christians would do that today, this other stuff wouldn't be nearly as interesting to them as. Um, as it is, um, you know, again, it sounds um, 
pretty spiritual. Well, you know, there are other stories out there, and maybe this, the only one that we know was written by God, uh, are the ones that were preserved for us in our Bibles. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Sean. Uh, He said, if someone is not elect, does it mean they cannot be saved? No, Sean, it means that they will not be saved. They can be saved. Everybody can. But it means they will not be saved. You see, God elects or God chooses based on foreknowledge. So God isn't like arbitrarily choosing one person or another. God is choosing, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, um, Romans 8, 29. God is choosing people on the basis of his foreknowledge. So when God chooses somebody, like, and I'll just use me as an example, uh, I got saved in 1991. God knew that I was going to get saved in 1991. And so my entire life, God set his love upon me and didn't change his mind until he got that opportunity to love me in the way he wanted to when I became a believer. So um, the idea that, that God causes the election is to misunderstand the Bible. So God chooses those who he knows are going to choose him. And his recall, of course, uh, is perfect because he knows the end from the beginning. Um, But those are the ones that God chooses. I will have mercy on who I have mercy. Who are those? Those are the ones that he knows are going to choose him. So it's that they will not be saved, Sean, not that they cannot be saved at all. Thank you for the question. I always appreciate the election questions because they are difficult for people at times. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, and we'd love to have your live input. Here's a question that just came in from Mario to our email inbox. Um, Oh, boy. Uh, Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts about celebrity pastors? I'm pretty young and began to listen to people like Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Rick Warren, and Michael Todd. These pastors get me fired up and know how to explain themselves. They seem like good pastors. I was told not to listen to them, and they're not even saved. What are your thoughts? Mario, I would never make the the, the um, um, statement that they're not saved. That's between them and God. I don't know. I can tell you for a fact that Stephen Furtick is silly in his theology. Stephen Furtick uh, is um, um, he's, he's impossible, isn't he? He doesn't make any sense. And he is a showman. Um, T.D. Jakes is a oneness guy. Um, he's not a Trinitarian. Uh, he's a great performer. But he is um, he's not somebody to listen to because his basic understanding of um, the Trinity is all wrong. Uh, Rick Warren, I know Rick Warren, and Rick Warren, I can assure you, is saved. Um, Rick Warren doesn't do anything the way I would do it, but that doesn't make him bad. I know that he loves Jesus. I know that he uh, truly believes that his approach is best, and I disagree, and I disagree hardly, but that doesn't disqualify him from being a believer. Rick Warren is a man that loves Jesus with all of his heart. And frankly, uh, when when we've talked to him about some of the things uh, that, that he's doing, he doesn't really understand why somebody uh, who is a pastor would, would really disagree with his perspective at all. He, he just says, you know, you love Jesus, I love Jesus. I don't try to tell you what to do. So uh, Rick Warren is is a believer, uh, and I don't think there's anything at all heretical about what he does. I think his methodology is uh, ineffective. Uh, I think it's sort of a church light philosophy of ministry. Uh, you won't find a lot of talk about sin, but he's not nearly as bad as somebody like uh, Joel Osteen. Um, but but Rick Warren, I can tell you without any question, is a true believer. Michael Todd, I'm not as familiar with. Now, here's the thing. These pastors get me fired up, you say. They know how to explain themselves. They really don't know how to explain themselves. There is no explanation. Now, that they get you fired up is they're charismatic. They are They are gifted which, by the way, means they're going to be more accountable to the Lord. 
But if you would take one of Stephen Furtick's or T.D. Jake's sermons and have it written out for you, I promise you, you couldn't follow it and make any sense out of it at all. It's just the emotion. It's the the the, the fiery character. Uh, and that doesn't make for good theology. And I would not listen to them at all. But again, I wouldn't say that they're not saved. So those are my thoughts, Mario. And I hope that makes sense to you. Be discerning. Be discerning about who you listen to and make sure that what they're teaching is consistent with the Word of God. Let's go to uh, Tanya, my friend from San Leandro, California, on line one. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Tanya. How about you guys? Good. I'm going to, I'll be seeing you at the end of the month, so I'll be there for a few few days, so I'll be sure to run by and say hello. Very cool. All right. So I have I have like several questions in my head, but I am meeting with somebody this week that I really wanted to talk to you about this. So I have a friend. Um, she's saved, and her husband, he says he's saved. Um, I don't know. Of course, you know, we can't judge anybody's salvation. But um, when they have issues with their children, um, one of them is of dating age, and um, she was telling me that she had a conversation with her husband, and, you know, the young man had proposed potentially marriage, but you know, to the daughter. And um, the husband said, well, I'd rather them, why, they, why do they want to get married? You know, the young man told him. And um, later on, he said he told his the wife said that, she had told him, well, um, I, he said that I prefer they don't get married. They want to have sex. They should have sex before they get married. And I thought, this is supposed to be a godly man. And so her <laughs> dilemma is, you know, when we talk about submission, and, and I, I don't, you know, I know, um, you know, I, I know she loves him, and, and I know she wants to respect him and, and, you know, submit to his leadership. But she said, what do you do when it's completely ungodly? And she told him that he needed to repent. Um, and you know, that statement, I didn't go over well. Um, and so I don't know how to, uh, help in this situation. Of course I'm praying. That's the most I can do. But Mm -hmm. what do you do when a spouse who you're not certain is saved? Um, I can say from knowing these folks, I don't see any fruit. Um, but Mm -hmm. what do you say to a wife who is, um, you know, having to, it seems like sometimes battle, her own husband about things, especially when it comes to the ch- children. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, Tanya, uh, because it's so emotional. Two things. Let me first say that, that the Bible is really clear. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, you belong to Christ. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, uh, it, it's impossible to have that kind of philosophy. Now, it's a man probably who's gone to church. It may be a man who's prayed to receive Jesus, but he never surrendered his heart because Jesus isn't the Lord of his life. And I think the one thing that we really got to understand is that point, that, that worldly perspective is something that, that she has to take a stand against. Now, when the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands, I think uh, especially husbands, we stop reading right there. But it says, as unto the Lord. And so in this case, he's telling his daughter to go sin. She has to stand up and say, you can't tell her that. You cannot tell her that. And then she needs then to be the godly parent and say, no, that's simply not going to happen. Now, I can tell you basically that if this is the way the girl has been raised, she probably isn't born again either. I'm talking about the daughter. So this is a place where a parent who's standing with Jesus has to stand for him, even in their home. And you don't submit to someone who is asking you to violate what the Word of God says. And and we get this all the time, um, you know, where, where a husband and wife have completely different views of things, um, and and they both claim to be saved. Well, the 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 devil is in the details, and I mean that literally. And here's a case where here's a man who's who's thinks so lowly of his daughter that he would send her into a sinful relationship, a place where she is actively rebelling against God. And a saved mom cannot stand by and let that happen. 
I mean, this is one of those things that, that if I was the mother in this case, uh, I, I would say, look, if this is the way you're going to approach um, my daughter and I, we're, we're, we're going to go somewhere else. Not to divorce. I'm not talking about divorce. I'm talking about taking a stand because that kind of approach simply can't work. This is a man who's been won over by this world instead of being convinced that Jesus is is true, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that he requires obedience from those of us who claim to be his. Tanya, uh, Tanya, one of the things that you can do um, uh, is is... Have her listen to the Bible study that I just did this past Sunday uh, in Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 8, um, um, where we talked about, I talked about um, what it means to be a true believer, a true or genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And if she can, can listen to that, I think that will give her a little bit of direction. But let me say to everybody listening in the audience that wives never have to submit to ungodly things, period. Submit as unto the Lord. And when a husband is asking you to do something that is sinful, uh, the answer, because you love Jesus, has to be no. So, Tanya, I will also be praying for this. a very difficult situation to be in. Did you have another question, Tanya? Um, I did, Pa, and it, but it was totally different. You know, I, all weekend I think about questions. Um, my other okay. one had to do with just the, the term righteous lot in Second Peter. You know, I think <laughs> I, it's more of a reflection kind of, and I know I, I went through the notes and I'm still a little unclear. Like, I know that um, he's in heaven. We know that. But did, did I miss something along the way? Because I feel like, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I am grateful that lots considered righteous considering the wretch that I am. I was just curious to maybe you could expand a little bit upon just the term righteous lot because when I first read it, it stopped me dead in my tracks and I had to go back yep. and read it again yep. and then I pulled the notes. <laughs> yeah, it, I just wanted to get a little bit more insights on that. I, I can do that, Tanya. And you know what? Uh, you're not the first one and you won't be the last one who was stumbled by that. You know, that's one of those things without the New Testament we would conclude that Lot's not in heaven. I mean, without the New Testament, we would never know. But he was righteous insofar as he believed God. Like like Abraham, uh, he was righteous because he believed. Now, his perspective was completely different. His conspe- perspective was completely worldly. Uh, but he was righteous, and the proof of it, Peter says, is that that righteous man was, and I like the King James, was vexed in his spirit because of all of the unrighteousness around him. What that means is that he he chose law, he chose Sodom when Abraham gave him the opportunity because he he liked what was going on in Sodom. He liked what he saw. He liked the 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 uh, apparent um, fruitfulness of Lot, the city life. Um, Abraham is the one who who really chose um, by faith. Uh, you choose, you go one way, and I'll go the opposite way. You choose Lot, and and then we see Lot um, not just looking toward Sodom, but then he moves toward Sodom, and he gets involved. And finally, we see him at the city gate, which was a form of city government in the ancient world. It means that Lot became one of the decision makers. And Lot was one of those men who was so compromised. And, you know, the mystery is there's going to be a lot of compromised people in heaven, Tanya. But but Lot was so compromised, and yet he broke his heart. There was always that conviction there that what he was doing was wrong. But again, this is one of those things that we never would have known otherwise. And I, I think we need to remember one other thing. And this is always important to remember when we're dealing with Old Testament figures. Uh, they did not have the Holy Spirit in them like we do. Their understanding of righteousness was was obedience to ritual or obedience to the law. Uh, in in Lot's case, uh, he was so compromised that he couldn't save his uh, his his own wife and his sons-in-law, and he was so compromised. He led a life that was so compromised that that once Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed, 
his daughters uh, decided the only way they can have children is to lay with their father, and they got him drunk. He didn't know it, but uh, that was the, 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 the legacy that he left, ungodly kids. And so, yeah, it bothered him, and he didn't do a lot about it. It's like when somebody says, how could David be described as a man after God's own heart when he did all those terrible things? Well, without the Holy Spirit, I think we'd all do those terrible things. David hated his sin, and David was a great repenter. Lot was vexed in his spirit by his sin and all the sin around him and because of the compromise, but he didn't really do anything to change um, his behavior, and it cost Lot a great deal. Lot is one of those guys who I like to say jokingly, he's in the smoking section in heaven. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 says our, our deeds will be measured and we'll get in, but as though we are smoking. Uh, in other words, he barely made it. Tanya, good to hear from you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your questions and calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 or free 877-630-KSLR. Let's go to George on line one from San Antonio. George, thanks for calling. You are on the air. Hi, Pastor Arbaugh. I know it's been a while. I used to call quite frequently. <laughs> yeah. uh, my name is George. Um, I had a Bible study that was uh, 50 to 60 people, which uh, dwindled right after COVID, but we ended up t- turning it into a home church. Uh, and I got my certificate, and I've done eight weddings, including my three boys. Since then, oh, good um, for you! Yeah, the Lord's really done a work, and my my children all serve the Lord, so I'm really happy about that. But I've always had a question, and I really don't have any other pastors that I can bounce ideas off of. But one of the things that constantly always bothered me is that there are very, uh, uh, quite a few books that are mentioned in the Bible. You know, it'll say things like the deeds of so-and-so are recorded in the book of Jasher or the book of this and the book of that. And even the book of Enoch is quoted uh, verbatim in the book of Jude. And, and um, I, 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 I'm, I'm very aware of the Council of Nicaea and Constantine, who, you know, was a professing Christian, but we know that you know, he didn't have any fruit according to that. And I, I know that the motivations for him to have the um, the canon was, you know, for other reasons. So I've always wondered how you feel about the books that are actually mentioned in the Bible, uh, you know, such as the book of Jasher and, and uh, other yeah. books that are mentioned. Okay. Thank you, George. It's good to hear from you. And just uh, as, a, as a follow-up comment, um, marrying your own kids— is like the greatest thing ever. I had the privilege of marrying both of my boys, so um, God, God really blessed you by by being able to do that. A couple of things about the books. First of all, Constantine, um, by by any measurement, was not a believer. Um, by declaring Christianity the official religion, um, you know, he he had uh, spiritual leaders, but but the idea of being born again and the idea of of uh, serving Jesus was not something King Constantine uh, was was interested in doing. It's actually an interesting read if you want to 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 learn a little bit about uh, Constantine. Uh, there's a book by F. F. Bruce called New Testament History that is is outstanding and has uh, details about that kind of stuff. Now the books that are quoted in the Bible. Um, and, and there, there are a lot more. Go back to the Old Testament, the, the Chronicles of the Kings. That doesn't mean First and Second Chronicles, but but just the the books that were written, they're mentioned as well. 
none of the books that are mentioned in the Bible, Old Testament or New, are inspired by God. Now, when, as Jude does, when he refers to something and quotes a, a, a portion of of a book, um, he's, he's testifying that that particular statement is true, but but he's not validating the the entirety of the book at all. Uh, the Apostle Paul mentions books uh, that that are secular books, um, uh, poets. Uh, they're not validating divine inspiration. They're just including them. And it's clear that all of the books that are referred to are well known to the people of the time, the people to whom um, um, Paul or Jude or whoever it is, is writing. So uh, what, they're, what they're doing, all Cretans are liars um, or, or lazy um, uh, we know that's not true, but but it was a generally accepted comment uh, of the time uh, that they lived in. So d- don't give any credibility to divine inspiration to any of those books. Uh, I, I often will have people call and they're stumbled by that. Well, do I need to get this book and find it? No, you don't need those books. Just know your Bible, read your Bible, and then if something comes up from another source, you can measure the the um, uh, integrity of what uh, what you you're reading against what you know is divinely inspired by God. So, George, don't don't give divine inspiration credit to any of them. Uh, it's just that that particular statement is true, and um, and is is used to make a a broader point. In Jude's epistle. Thank you for the question, George, and it is good to hear from you, and it's good to hear that you've got a home church that started out of that, and it's been quite a long time since since I've heard from you. That's why I love doing this show. Michael has a question. He says, Pastor Ron, I have a friend who is a believer, but he keeps changing his mind about doctrinal issues like hell, pets being in heaven, and especially the role of the Bible in our lives. What can I say to him? Um, Michael, this is, um, there is a great falling away Um, before the the Lord calls us to be with him in the rapture of the church. We know that there's going to be an apostasy or a falling away. And that falling away has already begun. And the falling away is a falling away from the word of God. And so when we have people that we know whose ideas about eternal things are being shaped either by the world that we live in or by our emotions or feelings, we know, um, since the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth, we know that at very best, these are believers who are not walking in the Spirit or walking according to the Spirit. Um, hell keeps coming up in these days. Well, well, I can't believe God would send people to hell. There's good people. Why would they go to hell when they're Christians who do bad things and they would go to heaven? And so what we do is we decide because hell makes us uncomfortable. We just decide it's not real. You know, if you read obituaries, and I used to, when when I got newspapers and I could read, uh, and I'm talking from the time I was about nine years old, I love reading obituaries. And now I know why, but back then I didn't know. It just was fascinating to me. But everybody, it seems, is going to a better place. And when we have to deal with the fact that that's not true, frankly, it hurts a lot of our feelings. And we just think, well, well, that's so harsh and judgmental. And the reason we think that is because we want to do things that we know we're not supposed to do. And we don't want to face the consequences. So we just decide hell's not real. The fact that Jesus spoke about hell and eternal torment more than than any other biblical writer doesn't persuade them. They just don't want to believe. So they make it up. They, 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 they remake God in their image rather than remembering that we were made in the image of God. Pets being in heaven. I have a, a friend who... Um, um, has lost so many pets. I mean, he loves them, cats, and and uh, he's um, convinced they're all going to be in heaven. And he'll he'll fight to the end to support that. 
And he says, well, well, heaven wouldn't be heaven without my pets, without my cats. And, and I just, well, you know, the Bible says. He doesn't care what the Bible says. He wants to f- believe what makes him feel better. Uh, the role of the Bible in our lives. The same friend says, well, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we're not supposed to be governed by a book. We're supposed to follow Jesus. And I tell him, you can't follow Jesus unless you know who he is. And the only source for who he is, is our Bible. So the problem is they end up following a Jesus who isn't real. It's a Jesus of their own making. And Michael, this is um, the social media where it is trending. People who believe these things are legion simply because they want to believe it. And the, the reality, of course, is that um, they're following a ghost. They're following a shadow. It's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. There's no other source for who Jesus is. And for anybody who would say, I can't believe a loving God would send somebody to hell, they don't understand that loving God, nor do they understand the, the utter sinfulness of sin in this world. And they're basically demeaning completely. Jesus will say, um, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Uh, away from me, you evildoer. That's what will happen at the judgment when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But but you cannot know who he is, Michael, without letting the Bible be your source, your your singular authority for the person, the character, the nature of God. Thanks for the question. Here's a question that is um, interesting from Audrey. She says, I love worship at our church, but is music really what worship is about? I do feel very emotional at times, but it still seems that something is missing. Um, you know, Audrey, one of the things that I like to say, and, and I have no no talent at all for worship. Um, I sing during worship very quietly. For two reasons. I'm trying to save my voice because I'm going to teach a Bible study, but also because I can't sing well. And so um, um, when we're when we're worshiping, uh, um, there are times I feel really emotional. There's times when you get goosebumps. I understand times when you want to cry. I understand all of that. But in the Old Testament, every time worship is mentioned, something dies. And that's what real worship is. Let me tell you what I'm worried about with contemporary worship. And, and I'm not talking about the style of music. I'm just talking about the, the worship that we we see uh, in our churches, whether you're reading out of hymnals and singing all, or whether you've got a band who's doing contemporary Christian music. Uh, if you can't sing those lyrics honestly, I love you, Lord. Our worship team this past Sunday, Audrey, they they sang song "I Love You," and it's it it was just it was such a beautiful song. But can you imagine somebody who's living in sin singing that song? How could you not be convicted by it? So something has to die. In this case, it's your sin, your flesh. You've got to repent before you can sing that song. Before it actually becomes worship. So. I'm afraid that too often, because we connect worship with time that we do music, uh, I'm afraid that too many people are moved by the emotion of it rather than the reality or the integrity of their life as, as compared to the lyrics that we're singing. So these are, are really important things. So worship, I think, is important. And while well, I'm not really a big music guy, um, I want to be able to sing those songs, those lyrics, and I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, Jesus, if I'm not living this life, then please forgive me and change my heart. But when we get moved emotionally, and there's nothing wrong with emotions, but when we get moved emotionally, maybe what's missing at times is that you're really not connecting with the lyrics. One of the things I tell all of the people here at our church 
who stand on that stage and lead the rest of us in worship is by the time they get on that stage, their heart better be right with God. And if there's sin in their life, it needs to be repented of. And and it doesn't mean that once the singing is over, they can go right back to the sin, to the sin because God knows that. So we've got to be real about worship. But remember, worship is a sacrifice. Here's something else that bothers me about worship. There's a whole segment of the church, and this is true in every church. There's a whole segment of of people in the church that always come in late because they don't like the singing. They don't like the music part. And so you see them week after week after week, and they'll come in just at the, you know, and it's easy to time it. Well, they're in the last song now, so let's go in. Um, And there's something wrong with that kind of heart. Well, I just don't feel like worship. Well, if you don't feel like worship, then you're a hypocrite after what God has done for us. So I'm glad that you love the worship at your church, Audrey. I love the worship that we do here at Calvary Chapel. But let me tell you, the reason I love it is because I know the hearts of every one of those people on that stage. I am I'm intimately familiar with their walk with the Lord. And I know what they've allowed God to do in and through their lives. I especially like it on the Sundays when Paula sings. Uh, it just thrills my heart. I, I just stare at her sometimes. I just, she has so much fun doing it, and she's really good at it. But she has so much fun doing it, and and again because I know how precious her heart is. I know where that worship comes from. Um, there's just to me absolutely nothing better than that. So, uh, the people that do worship here at our church. Um, I know him, and I can trust him. We've got a guy on our worship team, our Sunday worship team, Audrey, who I'm guessing has been playing the lead guitar for about 15 years. Um, We found him at a Joy of Jesus. He was homeless, addicted to drugs. Um, and, And I know what that man has been through, and I know what he's allowed Jesus to do in his life. And even as we get old together, it's just really cool to watch this old guy who who loved Jesus so much, to watch him worshiping God uh, with the skill, the talent that God has given him. Those are amazing things. So, Audrey, that's kind of how I view church. Um, I did a study, and I think it's some more available on our website, but uh, I did a worship study um, focusing on Mary of Bethany. Uh, that's probably the best example of what true worship really is uh, in our New Testament. So, uh, Audrey, I hope that helps you a little bit. Here's a question from Heaven. Boy, nothing wrong with your name, Heaven. Um, she says, I assume it's a she, what is the best way to pray for pastors and their wives? Great question. Pray for partnership, unity of heart and spirit. Um, Pray for authenticity, that they are in private, who they appear to be in public. Um, Pray for um, a renewed and unified commitment to doing the work that God's called them to precisely the way God has called them to do it not to be influenced by other people. Your earlier question about celebrity pastors, you know, you get these guys that are splattered all over social media uh, and, and you know, you, you find people trying to imitate them. So just pray that your pastor and his wife um, are authentic. Uh, pray for their children if they have children. Uh, and pray that they're right in the middle of God's will. I can tell you what you can pray for me, Heaven. Um, I pray and ask for prayer constantly. Um, I am obsessed with finishing well. I want to finish better than I started. I want to finish bringing honor and glory to the Lord. I want to be more in love with the Lord each and every day. And um, um, I don't want to bring shame to his name. So those are the things you can pray for me. And I think that, that prayer list would work for every pastor. We, we want to be faithful. 
And it's easy for a lot of these guys, especially when they get into the celebrity realm, it's easy for them to sort of lose who they are and lose their way. And uh, so, so that's, I think, the best way to pray for them. But pray for their marriages, pray for their kids, pray that they enjoy what they do and, and that they enjoy what they're doing is obvious to everyone that's doing it. I used to tell Paula, Paula, I don't know if this Bible study is going to be any good, but here's what I want people to, to know. I want they to know how much I love Jesus. If they, if they don't understand a word I say, I won't be able to say, well, he, he confused me, but he loves Jesus, and you can tell that. And um, I think that's the, the most effective way to pray for pastors and their wives. One other thought on this, and this is just for everybody out there. Um, and I'm not crying wolf. I love what I do. But pastors are in the crosshairs spiritually. People are coming after them. Um, you know, the way I teach the Word, for example, I'm super, super direct. And um, I know I offend a lot of people. That's never my intent. And I, I'm, I'm pretty nice, and I don't raise my voice, but, but I offend people. And uh, there are always people who are sitting out there with their arms crossed thinking, who does this guy think he is? So just pray that we're impervious to that. Our job is to stand with and for Jesus. We have to remember that the gospel belongs to him. It's Jesus' gospel. We have no right to change it, to soften it, to water it down. Um, Pray that, that we would be faithful to teach the word. Thank you, Heaven. I appreciate you asking. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Jonathan. He says, "My walk with Jesus remains hot and cold. How can I be more consistent?" Um, I get what you're saying here, Jonathan. It's easy. Got to be with Jesus. When you're when you're when you're cold, um, um, you're not with Jesus. It's that simple. You got to kindle a love affair. A relationship takes work, and so what you need to do is. Remember always you got to be with Jesus. Keep working on the relationship. Learn more about him. Um, at the end of our radio programs, uh, the teaching programs, um, May, who does our announcing or does the intro and the outro, she says, fall in love with the Bible and you will fall in love with Jesus, we promise. When you're in love with Jesus, then your, your walk with Jesus is going to be zealous. It's going to be, uh, Paul said, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, literally your spiritual hotness, um, uh, for the Lord. And the only way you can be consistent is to walk in the Spirit, be with Jesus, and say no to your flesh. So, uh, Jonathan, that's the easiest way uh, that works. Um, we got Brother Pope on line one from San Antonio. Brother, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Gloria Dios, bienaventurados. How's Pab doing? How are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm going through so many battles, Pastor, but God is good and faithful. Oh. Health-wise, I've got, I just came from cardiologist appointment. I'm going to have another appointment with a kidney and hypertension specialist. <laughs> I oh, got my so goodness. Getting, old is, getting old is hard, isn't it? Ooh, tell me about it. <laughs> I got a podiatrist that gave me cortisone shot in my heel. I got arthritis in oh. my knees and my wrist. And a spinal specialist that discovered five discs are arthritic, and I was born with an extra disc. <laughs> I said, I was going to be almost, I, maybe my mom was abducted, and I was going to be an extraterrestrial. <laughs> and he started laughing. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the one thing we know for sure is there's, there's there's always joy in the Lord, no matter what we're going through physically, huh? It yeah. says is the, the, so my you, strength is, is the, my joy is the strength of the Lord. My strength is in the joy in the Lord, and I rejoice. In His presence I, is the fullness of joy. Amen. And, and and I just wanted to give you because I heard the question uh, to pray for the pastors for certain things. And and mm-hmm. they were all good, great. But uh, what came to me was, man, make sure that they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, and fire from Amen. up above, from heaven. Because pastors, mm-hmm. pastors have yeah. a stressful job. They have to deal with so many people and make characters and issues within the church. 
and their families, and they struggle. They're, they're, they're flesh and blood too. <laughs> yeah. And we, you know, you know the, the, what's important. What's important about what you just said is that if you go through the Book of Acts, we sign, we find all of the apostles being filled and refilled continually with the Holy Spirit. And think sometimes we pastors, we get the idea that, you know, well, I've been baptized in the Spirit. And, and the, the reality is um, our flesh gets in the way. We have to be filled afresh every single day. Oh, and especially, especially when we're getting ready to get in that pulpit. We can't do it in our own strength oh. because we have nothing of value to offer. Amen, Pastor. I, I love your teachings. I'm in agreement with you. I wish you the best. And 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 Paul, was it Paula or Pamela, your wife? Paula. Paula, Paula. Okay, yes. tell Paula my best wishes to her. Love, hugs, and kisses, and and, and keep on going <laughs> forward, Pastor. The Thank you, brother. The and you know what? He's, he's, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. She she's listening. So you just told her. Okay. <laughs> We love you, Pastor, and I know a lot of people love you and love your program, and, and it's a blessing oh. to have you on the air. Thank you, man. God, God bless you. you. Many Talk, more years, hear hear from you again God. soon. Thank Amen. you. We'll hear from God you again bless. soon. Okay. Well, we are at the end of our show today. Um, um, let me just say, you know, I love, I appreciate the kind comments, but uh, I'm the one who really gets blessed by doing this program. And uh, that you would share your hearts and share your time is an honor and a privilege. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.